Welcome to Circle Forum, conversations and stories about restorative practices in schools, where today we talk about circles with students who have special needs. Our website is circleforum.ca. Follow us on Instagram at circle.forum. And here are your hosts, Shelly, Steve, and me, Stan. So good day. How have you been since I talked to you last? I'm still great. How about you, Steve? Yeah, I'm still having a great time. It's a good day here. So, Wow. Good days, greatness. That's phenomenal. So we're uh, getting started with Steve's story time. So Steve, you have a story for us. I do. And um, this one is about a junior age student. It's a, a, a girl that I dealt with many years ago. And she had been involved in a lot of conflict with peers. Uh, Parents were worried about bullying because of some of the things that were said. I didn't find much evidence of that. But what I did uncover when I um, talked to her and then talked to some of her friends was just an awful lot of poor communication between the between the friends and and I you know sort of that relationship conflict that arises due to miscommunication and poor communication or sometimes even no communication. So after a bunch of discussions with the girls, it was clear to me and eventually to them that much of the miscommunication and and the conflict came from the fact that the one girl that I talked to just didn't feel comfortable talking about things. And in her words, until she was ready, she the friends all felt that she was ignoring them and that she was being mean to them because she wouldn't talk to them about problems. And that sort of escalated into new problems and more name calling because she would refuse to talk. And eventually, I don't even know what the original problem was that we were there for. But the girl in question, she was quite shy and it took her a long time to process, you know, things would happen and she would need time to think, come to a decision, conflict or strong, loud personalities sort of flustered her and then she couldn't think straight. And so rather than answer people when they pushed her for answers, her responses were usually uh, things like, I don't want to talk to you, or she would just simply leave the situation and that caused more conflict. So When we finally got to that, I created with her and some modeling and some words that she could use to help her in those situations. You know, simply saying, I don't want to talk about it yet, or I'm not ready to talk is certainly a better way to let friends that she's not know that she's not ready to talk about it far better than saying it's none of your business or go away and leave me alone, which only created more conflict. So when we got all the girls together and we talked about she talked to them about how she needed time to think before she wanted to talk. They understood it better so that when things were happening and there was, you know, talking about this or that or whatever the conflict was, they knew that she needed time. So less likely to push her. And then they realized that she wasn't ignoring them. She actually was their friend. She just needed some think time. We call it think time uh, or processing time. Um, And so there's a lot of students at that effect. So in this instance, I think we solved it all right. Uh, it took a lot of time for me to get to that point of what was really going on with her. But I think she understood herself better than any of us. She just had never been able to tell everybody this is how she felt. Her parents were quite surprised, too, at that. They didn't really know that about her. They knew she was quiet, but they didn't know that she needed time to think, to process answers before she could give a, a, a thoughtful answer to everybody. So how did you actually get to that point where you actually discovered that? Well, I was asking her questions about, you know, around, well, why weren't you answering the girls when they were asking you about this or that? Because I had some texts, part of it was texting and part of it was face-to-face. And I was reading some of these texts that these, the girls had sent. And I said, well, why aren't you answering them? She says, well, I don't know what to say. 
And so it quickly dawned on me that it just took her time to get to answers. And you know what? There's a lot of people this, I'm, I'm, I'm that way in a certain way itself. If, if there's a lot of conversation going on and a lot of people are pressing you, sometimes you'll give an answer. Then, you know, half an hour later, you go, oh, I should have said this. Or I should have said that. You have time to process. You come up with a better answer. In this girl's instance, she couldn't process all this, this, these questions coming at her. So her response was usually to either run away or tell them it was none of their business or something to put them off so that she could go be by herself and process it. So as I talked to her, it became obvious to me that she just needed time to answer. I was asking her questions too. And I was you know, waiting. The silence was telling me she was thinking. And so it became obvious to me. She did sometimes two, three, four minutes before an answer would come out. And it was probably a good answer. But if I'd have kept pressing her, well, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you answering? I know I never would have gotten anything out of her. So one thing that's two things stand out to me in that story in particular, but uh, I'm sure this almost snowballed too, because once a student's kind of identified in that peer group as, you know, they all have their roles and the positions within a peer group. And so they know this about her now. So it would probably exasperate it each time too. Oh, she's not responding again. Let's ask her another one. So it continues to grow. The other piece I really like, and I've done this for years and years, is scripting with kids and not scripting that, you know, you must say this, although that is what is beneficial to them, that they have actually used the words, spoken them out loud to a safe person and work through what they will say. I've often used that when there's been an incident at school and we are doing a, a formal conference or a restorative conference, but they're now going to go and enter back into their classroom or into the school and kids are going to want to know what happened. So it's the same sort of thing. We work on what the language, what are you going to say to them to, to kind of shut it down rather than have people be interested again in what's happening. So scripting is very powerful and it's just giving the kids one or two lines and having them practice actually saying it, not us just saying, this is what you'll say. The words need to come out of their mouth so they can play with them and refine them a little bit if they need to. Yeah, and, and I've done that as well, Shelly, that and I'll say to kids, you know, you're going to go back to class and people are going to be curious. If you say to them, it's none of your business, that's a little bit different than saying, I'd rather not talk about it. And if simply saying to them, I'd rather not talk about it, we'll shut them down. They'll stop asking you questions. But if you say it's none of your business, they're going to think you're, well, you're just being, you know, snotty or whatever. And then you're creating a different kind of, uh, of problem. So yeah, we, I script yeah, with I kids usually, all the time. I just tell them usually you sound boring. Like, Oh, we worked it out. Yeah. Cause then there's nothing to talk about. Like kids move on. It's boring. Yeah. And that question is actually um, a great one to ask kids at the end of a conversation. So what are you going to say now that you're going back to class? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And then you can actually say, well, how about this, this, or this? And say, oh, I like number two. All right. So then that's what you're going to say. It's been dealt with. I actually had a, a, a more formal circle uh, set up where one of the students involved was uh, special needs and actually had difficulty not only with auditory processing, but with uh, speaking. And so was unable to answer questions that were asked to him directly and to put him in a circle and to ask him you know, questions. So what his mom did was uh, she asked him the questions the night before and wrote down his answers. So when it came to be his turn in this more formal type setting, I asked him the questions and then his mom actually read out what he had answered the night before. 
And the interesting thing was a number of the parents who were on kind of on the other quote unquote side, because there were a couple of sides in this circle said, we really, really appreciated what you had to say. And I don't know if this young man had ever had an adult commend him for something that he said. And it was because of the preparation and helping him with the time that he needed to come up with the answers to the questions about his involvement and what he thought needed to happen and, you know, how it had impacted him and others. Those are big questions. And, you know, to ask somebody just to fire those off, particularly if it's a, a fresh situation or you're responding in, you know, right in the moment to something that can be really tough for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we do, uh, we do the think sheets. We know that there are certain kids, they need time to, figure out their answers and formulate their answers and give them a give them a think sheet to write it out and then go through with almost rehearsing the conference before the conference and we do that anyways in formal conferences we always meet with people ahead of time and go through the questions but with kids sometimes they need to sit down and really think through the questions and so we give them the think sheets that gives them a chance to write I will sit down with them each individually and go through all their answers and say, is this really what you want to say? And we'll, you know, I'll write all over it and we'll correct it all. And by the time we bring all the kids together, they've got their answers already in their head. And if, if they can say it out loud and if they can't, I've got it in front of me and I can read it out as well. So very similar. It's about rehearsing the answers before you have to give them to somebody else, because that can be sometimes a very stressful situation for kids to have to face other kids. But. And I think what I've also seen that do for people is, when they're in the moment of the circle, they may not choose that answer anymore. So what's that the that's really important to give them the opportunity to think about it in ahead of time because what I've seen happen is it can change within the circle. They are now responding to something else that they've heard that they've not thought about before. So it isn't necessarily that they have to stick to that answer, but they've had a chance to put their thoughts in order. And it's absolutely okay that their response may change now that they heard a different something different from their classmate. Um, but they feel more comfortable entering into the situation as well in the conversation. And I think in your story too, Steve, what happened is, I don't know if this is the right use of the term, but there was an attribution error. Um, people attribute things to someone that they don't actually believe or, or mean or intend. So they attribute the fact that she's being uh, a bitch or uh, you know, whatever. She's always, she's always just kind of like that. She's stuck up, but they haven't actually bothered to find out what's going on. They, and so it's really important to have, I think exactly as you demonstrated, uh, a trusting context within which to ask those kinds of questions in order to be able to resolve the situation with information, because in the absence of information, every theory is a possible theory of why somebody isn't answering or being quiet, right? Yeah, and I, I remember the dealing with this, and I remember the when we got all the girls together, and I asked the, the one girl, can you explain to your friends why it is sometimes you don't answer them right away? And she explained to them, sometimes I don't have the answer. And I need time to think about the answer and I want to make sure I give the right answer. So sometimes I just want to go away and think about it and I'll come back later. You know, and the, the other girls realize, well, she's not ignoring us and she's not being mean to us or being a bitch or whatever it is. She's just knows herself and she knows that she needs to give us a better answer because she's, she is their friend. And then they all got along. They all got along before this and they all got along after this. This is just the bumps in the road of, of um, you know, 
relationships as they go along. But Right. And she didn't have the language yet to say that. We as right. adults know when we need to take a time away or a step away, but we can say, you know what? I just need overnight to think about that some more. Or can you give right. me a day or so? Yeah. They just don't have that language yet to, to no. express their needs. And sometimes, and this always happens when I tell a funny story or a joke, sometimes people don't get it right away. I had a situation where I told this story in the staff room and this one, my one colleague was just kind of sitting there and didn't really say anything. And then the bell rang and she went back to her room and halfway down the hall, she started just laughing and laughing and laughing because she finally got it. So even with jokes, people need a little bit of time sometimes to get it. So let's move on to a scenario. And Shelly, you have a scenario for us today. I often get asked again about, you know, teachers, when we talk about restorative circles or classroom circles, not just teachers, anybody involved in those, where we ask them to be open with students. And sometimes there's a concern about um, being too open with students, you know, they can to know personal things about me. So I wanted to have a bit of a discussion about why is that important that students see you as more than a teacher or more than the principal in your role in front of you? Why is it, why is that important that they see you, the other sides of you as well? I'll, I'll jump in on that. I, I, if we think of the social discipline window, we think of that authoritarian stance and a, a lot of teachers feel that to, to have authority in the classroom, to be in charge, and principals too in a school, to be in charge, I can't see, be seen to have any weaknesses. And they view being open and honest with kids or telling kids more about you as almost a weakness, giving up power, if you will. Um, whereas we see in that, in that, the with box in the social discipline window that you, you can gain power, you can gain some authority over people by showing them that you are affected by the things that happen in the classroom and that as a as a person you do make mistakes as a human being you make mistakes as well as they make mistakes and we have to acknowledge those mistakes you're not really losing that's my perception my belief is that we're not losing power by doing that that is a common belief amongst people that you you somehow are diminished in the eyes of the people you're supposed to be in charge of because you've now shown a weakness to me, that's not a weakness. So, so maybe it's a perception or how some people were raised. I don't know how it gets to that point, but there is that perception of, a, of revealing things about yourself as a weakness. Right. So maybe that's why they don't do it. And I think that as human beings, we have an affect as well. We have emotions that we bring as part of who we are. And in a conversation that I was having I was brought in to have a conversation with the class about a field trip and it wasn't going well and I I called it that it wasn't going well and I looked across the circle at the teacher and her bottom lip started quivering and the kids were just completely focused in on this teacher who they who they loved and she was looking and and expressing a lot of emotion and that changed things. So allowing a safe place for the expression of that emotion in a circle, in a, a classroom, in this case, they hadn't had a lot of experience with circles, but they had a good connection with the teacher, the affect of, oh my goodness. And she actually said, this class isn't usually like this. And so the kids were just kind of like, oh, no, our teacher is feeling disappointed in us. And, and because of that affect, they were actually invited 
to change and, and you know, have a do-over. So I think the affect can actually make a difference also in terms of simply dealing with people. And we, we are people. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days where we're just, we're on our A game. And there are days where we are just dragging it. And we need to, not that we have to say, oh, you know, it's been such a rough, oh, you know, such a rough weekend or whatever. But we do need to let students know in within what I would call, you know, pleasant boundaries, like, or as a friend of mine describes it, you know, boundaries that fall in pleasant places. I love that. That we talk about things that can build connections with kids, our dog, our vacation, our sport, seed collection. I don't know, whatever I don't know. What do you collect, Steve? Like, what yeah. do people need to know that you collect? Well, exactly. It's about sharing your hobbies and your interests and those kind of things. And, and I think, you know, there's a worry that people will overshare. Teachers will overshare with kids. And we don't want to start talking about their home life. And, you know, it was said earlier, um, you know, I had a fight with my spouse this morning. You don't go in and announce that to your grade three class. Uh, that's a little bit, that's oversharing. So you're right. It's about the pleasant boundaries. It's about the things that interest you. And, and you're trying to hopefully kids will make a connection of, gee, I, I collect stamps too. Or I, you know, I really like, I play hockey too. And he plays hockey. And those are the things that, that create those relationships and those connection pieces with, with your teacher. And also, so when things do go a little awry or things do go bad, the kids realize that, you know, you're upset with me. You're upset with us as a class. You're, you're disappointed with us. We need to do something to change. And that's really what we want. Um, yeah, you don't want to overshare. And I think that's the thing. And of course, with social media these days, we don't want to be sharing through social media. And there's lots of professional advisories around that too. But I will see teachers will be emailing parents and so on. And they might say, well, you know, I'll get to that tomorrow because my own kids have a hockey practice tonight. I don't think that's necessarily oversharing, but it is starting to creep into that. So uh, in small towns, of course, if you're a teacher and you live in a small town and all your kids are in a small town and you see them all the time, they probably already know where you live and how, what your dog looks like and what your backyard looks like. And so you, you are in a bit of a different um, uh, situation there in terms of them knowing a, a lot about you already uh, in a, in a bigger city, or if you work an hour away from where you live uh, it's a little bit different, but I know from living in a small town and seeing kids around town that the, the relationships are quite a bit different for the teachers who also live there too. And I think that it's important to, recognize that in restorative practice, we're talking about the impact of people's actions on others. And if we, if we think for a second that we as teachers or as adults are not impacted by what's going on in the classroom, by the things that are being said, we're fooling ourselves entirely. And I'm not suggesting, again, that it's like full disclosure, but this was upsetting to me. The, the way that you said that, or the way that you came into the classroom, or the fact that you are doing X or Y is getting in the way of what we're, what we're doing, I think is totally appropriate um, because it does, the actions of others do impact you. And, and that's where if you've done the, the connecting by things like we both have a dog, we both play hockey, we go to the cottage in the summer, whatever it is, you found some connection, then it's going to matter to the kids that you're disappointed. If you haven't built a connection, then you're, you're, the, who cares if he's disappointed? 
I'll just go about my business. So it is that that sharing of yourself to, for the, them to see you as more than their teacher. And it also allows you as a teacher that when you are having a bad day or something has happened, you can share with the class, look, you know, things aren't going really well. You know, maybe your dog died. Maybe something, you, things that would upset kids are going to upset you as a, as a teacher as well. Feel free to share that with the class. You know, sometimes teachers will make mistakes. And the ability to apologize to a student or even to a whole class, you know, because you read things wrong or you thought the class did something or you thought a a particular student did something and it wasn't that student and maybe you accused them of it. Being able to then acknowledge your mistake in front of that student will pay you huge dividends in the long run because they will then see you as someone who is fallible. You're a human being. You make mistakes too, but you're owning up to it. You're taking responsibility. And isn't that what we want kids to do? They make mistakes, we want them to own up to it. But as adults, if we don't do it, if what we're modeling is, I make mistakes, but I'm not going to apologize for it, what are we showing kids? So we have to acknowledge that too. And, and But it's a whole lot easier to apologize to students that you have a, a positive relationship with than ones that you don't. Absolutely. Well, I'd hate for Shelly and I to be wrestling over who has the final word, but I appreciate the conversations. And we've been battering around the whole idea of, in the other podcasts, previous podcasts, we talked about how do um, teachers approach another teacher who may be an experienced teacher or whatnot. It's the same with kids and how do they approach a teacher who they may feel has made a mistake. And so it's all, again, about the relationship that that student and that teacher may have that the students will feel safe in pointing out an error that the teacher has made. See if I the final word. Well, adults are people too, like you didn't already know that, eh? Adults can let students know how they've been impacted by others using affective statements. And yes, students with special needs do benefit from restorative approaches, conversations, and circles. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe and listen again next week. Please take a minute to give us a review and give us a rating. Hey, how about the number after four? Have a story or scenario for us to talk about? Drop us an email to stan at restorative.ca. Share this podcast with people at your school. Follow us on Instagram, circle.forum. Visit our website, circleforum.ca, and let's keep the conversations going. Music.